And I'd like you to open your Bibles this morning to the New Testament book of Luke, as we're going to be finishing up a sermon series called Simply Christmas. As, as we've been looking at the story of Christmas chronologically, from the beginning of the story to the end of the story in a five-week period, and we've covered a lot of ground, and we still have quite a bit of content to cover today in our Christmas story. And as a matter of fact, we're going to continue on the chronological life of Jesus starting next week as we go through a year into next year looking at the life of Jesus and it's going to start right after Christmas. So the very next time that we see Jesus in the Bible, that's what we're going to be on next week. So we're looking at this. We, in our study, we started even before time began. We started in heaven the very first week of our sermon series. And, and then we saw the birth of John the Baptist. And, and when Joseph and Mary then were, were told that they were going to have a son. And then we were there last week when we saw Mary and Joseph give birth to their son. And we, and, and we read about angels and, and shepherds. But with any good story or any good movie, the plot line is made up of, of so many small little pieces of story that all come together and, and, and they connect as the plot connects in what's called the rising action. And then you get to the climax of your story and then we, we have the climax, which would have been the birth of Jesus last week. And now on the other side of our highlight is, is what would be referred to in drama class as the falling action that comes on the other side. And it's really this time between the climax of your story and the end of the film where you kind of have some loose ends that are put back together, right? You get to see what happens to the characters. No good movie ends with a massive explosion, right? You have the massive explosion and then you get to see how the characters go on in their lives, right? That's what today is. We're seeing this, this falling action. We're seeing the after of our climactic moment of Jesus being born and now we get to see what happens afterwards. We get to see how life goes on. I guess in our climactic Analogy, the trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem from Mary and Joseph literally would have saved the world from total destruction. Amen? Like, like that is, that's the lead up in our story. And now we get to see what happens after the main event of Jesus' birth. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles. We're in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be reading quite a bit of content this morning. We're in verses 21 through 39 before we move into the gospel of Matthew in a message that I've titled, Life Begins for a New Family. Now, contrary to popular belief, not all of the events in our Christmas story that we hear and that we tell and that we see, not everything took place on Christmas night. Every nativity scene in every front yard it seems to have a plastic Mary and a plastic Joseph and a baby Jesus and shepherds and a few sheep and, and maybe a cow or two and three wise men and gifts and a few camels and a bunch of hay, right? And that's what we have in our minds of the Christmas story. And, and this image itself has almost become problematic because we see it and we say, oh, okay, well, that's Christmas. All these things happened on Christmas, right? But that's not exactly how Christmas all happened. 
Yes, there were wise men that came to visit Jesus, but they weren't there the night that he was born. Like, whoa, it's kind of a shocker, huh? See, they came to visit Jesus, but they came to visit him, and it could have been up to two years later when they came to see him. They did come to see baby Jesus, but we have this idea in our head of this, of this manger scene out in the front yard that really gives us... So we're going to dive into this story and we're going to see what happened after the birth of Jesus. If you remember, we didn't have wise men in our story last week, huh? We didn't have wise men in our story. We'll have wise men today. I promise you we'll get to wise men. Before we get to the amazing story of these wise men, though, there's a story in the book of Luke that seems to get a lesser amount of attention during our, our Christmas festivities. But it is so important in, in the gospel, it's so important to the life of Christ and to us, we get to see how important the ceremonial law was to Mary and Joseph, how important their religion was to them, that their faith was to them. And this is so important. Read with me in Luke, we're in chapter two, verses 21 through 24. I'm in verse number 21 now. It says, and when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Remember a few weeks ago when Elizabeth and Zechariah, they, they, they went and they had uh, their, their son circumcised and named. And remember all the people around, they thought he was going to be named Zechariah, but he wasn't, right? And Elizabeth's like, no, his name is John. So we've seen this ceremony already. Because this is a very particular ceremony that, that Mary and Joseph are now going to. It's part of the culture. It's what God had told the Jewish people to do. It wouldn't be surprising that Jesus went a few days without a, an actual legal name. What well, wouldn't have been surprising. Uh, the, the boys were to come after eight days and they would be named and circumcised. And, and, and that was part of the custom of the, of the people. Mary and Joseph were very, very Jewish. And that's such an important detail. Actually, it's point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you just joining us in your bulletin, you'll find on the left-hand side, there's some fill-in-the-blanks, and I'm going to give you those fill-ins as we move throughout our sermon. Point number one, Jesus was raised according to very specific Jewish rituals given to the Jews by God. Jesus was raised according to very specific Jewish rituals given to the Jews by God. God. Again, like we saw with John the Baptist, Jesus would have officially had to go in to, to be named a handful of days after he was born. And, and so Mary and Joseph know, they know what they're going to name their son, right? But this is still part of the law. It's part of the rules. It's part of the religion, part of the faith. It's part of being Jewish is this is what you do. And it's not simply because this is just a cultural thing. No, this is in the word. This is in their scriptures. It's that important. So this ceremony, taking Jesus in to have him circumcised and named, it's actually one of two ceremonies that are going to take place within the first few days of the life of Christ, the first month and a half or so. And we see this first ceremony, circumcision and naming, the second ceremony, is presentation of Jesus to God. Watch this. We're in Luke, uh, we're in verse number 22. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, 
They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. For Luke to mention the days of their purification, it again shows that Mary is following the law of Moses. She's following Jewish law. She's following what God had given his people, the rules he had given his people to live by. It would have been for, for a boy, when a boy is born, a woman has a time of purification, 33 days. For girls, double that, 66 66 days. So there is this time period. And so Mary and Joseph, again, following the law of Moses, they went and presented Jesus to God. That's what the scripture tells them to do. The firstborn male is God's. And so that's what they're doing. And then there's a sacrifice that's part of this celebration. It's part of the ceremonies as well. In the third book of the Bible, Moses writes rules that are handed down by God in the book of Leviticus. And part of these rules of obedience are sacrifices that are given for very distinct reasons. And someday we'll go into the sacrifices and dive into them. But in Leviticus chapter 12, we read about this sacrifice that Mary is about to take part in. Okay? Thousands of Jewish mothers have done this before her. And this is what Leviticus says. You don't have to turn there. It'll be up on the screen. Leviticus 12, 6 through 8, it says, When the days of her purification, this would be a mother, are completed for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the doorway of the tent of meeting a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. Then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. He would be the priest, offers it before the Lord and makes atonement for her, and she shall be cleansed from the flow of her blood. This was the law for her who bears a child, whether it be male or female. But if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two young pigeons, the one for the burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her and she will be clean. So do you see here Mary is taking part in ceremonies and rules that she's following to the T that are part of Jewish culture. And this is so important as we see the life of Christ moving forward. It's great to lay this, found, this, 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 uh, this foundation because we're going to see. It is important to know that Jesus is raised in a Jewish family and we're going to see Jewish customs throughout our series as we go forward. For Mary and Joseph to come and offer these sacrifices tells us something drastically important about the parents of the Messiah. It's such an important point as we continue to learn about Mary going forward. Watch this. Point number two in your notes this morning. Mary knew that she needed the salvation of her newborn son. Mary knew that she needed the salvation of her newborn son. One of these two turtle doves or pigeons, one of the two of them was a burnt offering. And the other was a sin offering. We're going to dive into a burnt offering someday, but I want to focus on the sin offering that Mary offered. 
Yes, her and, and Joseph would have had to buy two birds outside the temple. There would have been vendors, people who would have animals there that you could go and you could purchase to take to the temple for your sacrifice. But here's the important question that I want to ask about people who bring offerings. Who buys birds and brings them to the temple in obedience and offers them for a sin offering? Would it be fair to say that sinners will follow this, this command and offer, and offer these offerings? See, Mary, Mary and Joseph both needed atonement from the offering. And just like you and I, we need the blood of Jesus Christ. Mary didn't take her service to God as the one who carried the, the Messiah. She didn't take that as being good enough by her works. She knew that she needed an atonement for her sins. The fact that Mary bought one bird for the burnt offering shows that, that one thing, it shows that she couldn't afford a lamb. Her and Joseph, they couldn't afford the lamb. We just read that a minute ago. If you can't afford a lamb, you could bring two birds, right? But the second bird was a sin offering. And it shows that she viewed herself as a woman who desperately needs atonement for her sin. The, the mother of God's son needed the forgiveness and redemption that her son would bring. She needed this child as much as you and I need this child. She didn't see herself as any more or any less than any other Jew on the face of the earth. From any other person that she knew, she didn't see herself as any better. She knew that she needed to bring that offering. Not even the mother of the Messiah could make it to heaven on her own. It was less than a year before this moment when they're at their temple. Less than a year when, when there's an angel in front of her that says, Mary, you are favored by God. But that didn't mean that she was purified and sinless. To be favored by God doesn't mean to be forgiven. Sometimes those who look to be the closest to God, some people in our lives who look to be the closest that we look up to can still be so far away. Are churchgoers favored by God? I think it would be fair to say that, that yeah, God is in favor of us all going to church. He's, he's in favor of us diving in and building a deeper connection with Christ. But are we forgiven simply because we go to church? We're not, huh? Are we forgiven simply because we serve the church? No. See, church doesn't save us. Our service doesn't save us. Mary carried the Son of God. She carried the Messiah. Of anyone who has ever walked on this earth, she's the closest person to Jesus. Carried him for nine months. And her service doesn't save her, and she knows it because she still goes to offer a sin offering. She needed the atonement for her sins. Don't we still need that atonement? She needed a sacrifice for her sins. Just like us, she couldn't, she couldn't work her way to heaven. The wages of sin is what? Death. 
the wages of Mary's sin was. But she knew, she knew that God gave a path and a plan. And although Mary was going to get 33 years of lessons from watching God, the Son of God, grow into a man that would save his people from his sins, there seemed to be somebody who already knew what Jesus was going to do. Somebody who already knew what what Christ was going to become may have even known a little bit more than even what Mary did at the time. Somebody who had been waiting for Jesus for years. See, while Mary and Joseph were at the temple during their second ceremony to present Jesus to the Lord Almighty, to present Jesus to God, and making sacrifices, this stranger comes up to them and just starts talking. Like, hey, can I hold your baby? And then starts talking, and it probably had to freak him out a little bit. Watch this. Let's pick up the action. Luke chapter 2, we're in verse number 25. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. The consolation of Israel, the con- uh, consolation to console, to comfort. When you have a, a friend, maybe, who is hurting, you might go and, and console them, okay? So re- remember, at this time, Israel has been torn apart. They were split. They had gone into exile. They'd come back somewhat. They were never perfect again. And so this man, Simeon, is waiting for the comfort to come to Israel. And he's waiting for the Lord's hand of comfort upon his people. Verse number 26. And it had been revealed to him, to Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, Then he took him into his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. Like, wow. So literally, when Simeon holds Jesus in his arms, he recognizes right away that this is the one he's been waiting to see. The Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon that that he would not die. You won't die until you see the Messiah. Sometime in your lifetime, you're going to see who you're looking for. And Simeon saw this child, less than a month and a half old, at the temple, And he instantly recognizes God with us. Verse number 33. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Would it be fair to say that they were probably very amazed about the things that were being said? Verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and he said to his mother Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel. And for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul, to that end that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. 
As some of you as parents might know, maybe you've gone into Target and you've taken your newborn child with you into Target and you're kind of pushing them in the check stand and, and what do moms have the car seat, right? You have that car seat up here and you have that blanket, but everyone around, they want some, oh, can I see, right? Can I see you? And so what, what, what is it? Oh, what a beautiful baby. Thanks. Like, that's what you say about all the babies, right? But, and, and so we expect that. But would, would we expect somebody to say, hey, can I hold your baby? Like, oh, wow. Okay, I can die now. That, I'm good. Like, this is the, that's what, that's what it's like. Like, this is the Messiah. I, God, I, I can depart now. Because you've kept your promise. That would kind of be a little weird to happen in Target, right? A little bit. And it probably a little bit weird to happen at the temple. And as perplexing as that conversation would have been when Simeon came up and spoke to Mary and Joseph, it actually happened again. It happens again with another woman in the temple just a little bit later. Come back with me into chapter 2, into verse number 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Panuel from the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in her years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fasting and prayer. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all of those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the second time that this has happened. First, it's that guy, and now it's this lady. And so what's happening now, Anna goes and she starts talking to the people at the temple. Because she's like, hey, if you were waiting for the comfort of Israel to come, he is here. He is here. Isn't it interesting that on the night that Jesus was born, shepherds came looking for him? And a few days later, when his parents took him to the, to the temple, Simeon is looking for him, and now a woman named Anna is looking for him. Everyone is looking for the Messiah. I still think today everyone is still looking for the Messiah. Amen? Amen. Everyone is still looking for their Savior. They were waiting for this promise that, that God had given them. All of these people so far in our story have been within a few miles of where Jesus was born. He was born in Bethlehem, six miles out of Jerusalem. So we know the shepherds were, were, were probably close by that came over. Jerusalem's not, not a terribly long walk, and that's where the temple was. So... Shepherds, Simeon, Anna, devout Jewish people now know that they know about this promise that God has given them, telling them that, that there will be comfort in the land of Israel. So from a, a national patriotic standpoint, people have been looking for their king, right? There's people who have been looking for the promised Messiah. Israel is looking, is waiting. Oh, sure, to... to to know that the Messiah is going to come is one thing. Knowing that the Messiah is going to come and lead people back to God, that's another thing. But, 
But now having a national sense of pride that the Messiah is going to come, that's kind of a different level. But what's interesting is that these occurrences happen to total strangers that Mary and Joseph wouldn't have been expecting, but they, but they all happen to people in Israel or in that land. They happen to people who are waiting for Israel to come back together. But we're starting to see how important this newborn child is to mankind because first people have been waiting for Jesus. People who, and recognizing him, just a baby, but they didn't know that Mary, they didn't know she was a virgin. They didn't know that she was visited by Gabriel. They didn't know that her, her, her relative Elizabeth just had a child that had been prophesied about. They didn't know any of that. But what Mary and Joseph didn't know is that these people had been told the Messiah is coming. They had been told, and more than just these people in Jerusalem, more than just people of the Jewish culture who were there, there was even people internationally who were told that Jesus was on his way. I'd ask you to turn your Bibles to the New Testament book of Matthew. As we're going to be in chapter 2 now, finishing up our final few sections here in our sermon series of, of Simply Christmas, Matthew is going to show us how internationally people were also told that the Messiah was coming. It wasn't simply people in Jerusalem. There were more people who were looking for the Messiah. Matthew chapter 2, verse number 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? We'll stop right there for a second. Magi from the east. These are our wise men, okay? From the east. They're not from this area. You heard the song, We Three Kings from Orient are, okay? Orient, Oriental, Asia, that part of the earth, they've traveled quite a ways. They're not Jewish. They're not from Israel. They're in, from that territory. They're from a long way away. And they would have started their trip planning on coming to find Jesus. So God makes a revelation to people who aren't even connected. They're not relatives. They're not royalty in this land. They have absolutely nothing to do with this family. But God makes this revelation to bring these wise men into the story for an important, very important purpose. Verse number two, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. Verse 6, And the prophet had written, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7, then Herod secretly called the, the Magi, and he determined from them the exact time when the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had been 
which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. These are our wise men. This is the, the story of them coming in to see Jesus. When they left their homeland, they were following a star. When they got closer, they had to stop and get directions. They had to stop and get some more information. It, find out a little bit more about where Jesus is. It seems that as so many people knew the Messiah was coming and there were so many people who were looking for a savior and even people coming from other nations. You know what's interesting is that ever since his birth, people have not stopped looking for Jesus. They continue to look for Christ. Point number three in your notes this morning. Every person in all the earth is looking for the Savior. However, many don't know where to find Him. Every person in earth is looking for the Savior. The wise men were looking for Him. They were following a star, but they came into town to kind of get some more directions as to where they needed to go. The shepherds, they were looking. They knew he was coming. They had directions from angels. Simeon was looking. Anna was looking. Here's men traveling across nations, through deserts, into foreign lands looking for the Messiah. These wise men, they're not locals. They wouldn't have been people who would have been seen around the temple. They wouldn't have been people that you would have thought would be deep in their Jewish culture that would have known their scriptures inside and out to have been able to tell by the stars exactly when the Christ is going to be born. No, it was revealed to them and they went out to find Jesus. They went out because they were told the Messiah has been born. Here's a simple question. What would we do if we knew that Jesus was on earth right now? Would it be fair to say that we would probably go and start to look for him? Right? Would, would we pack up a suitcase? Would we, would we look around the house and try and find a gift or try and get something really cool to give him when we got there, when we find him and we can give him something because we want to worship him? Would we travel afar to find Jesus? But if we didn't know exactly where he was when we got there, if we were told, you know what, he's over, he's over in uh, Israel, just go over there and ask somebody, would we stop and ask for directions? I think we probably would, right? We would stop. Ever since the day when he was born, people have continued to look for him. Even right now in this, in this room today, there might be somebody here that, that knows that Jesus is alive, but isn't quite exactly sure where to find him. Because they don't know exactly where to go. And, and if that's you, I want to talk with you. I want to pray with you. I, I, I want to help you find Jesus. But if you're here today and you have 
already found Jesus, if you are someone here today that knows that Christ lives in your heart, knows that Jesus lives in you, do you know what you are? You are a star. You're the light in the sky that leads other people to Jesus. People actually follow you. They're looking to you. They're looking to us, right? Because there's an assumption, if you're a Christian, there's an assumption when your neighbors see you pulling out of your driveway and going to church in the morning and coming back and parking, getting out of your car, walking in, holding your Bible, there's an assumption that you go to church and you're a Christian, that you know the way to Jesus. Is their assumption correct? We're stars, right? That's our job. Simeon and Anna, they were at the temple and they were devout and and they understood what was going on. But there's so many people in our world who are looking for Jesus and they need a guiding light. They need a star. Are we reaching out to people who are looking for the Messiah, who who are following us? Are we taking them there? Because every one of the people you know who don't know Jesus, even though they haven't come out and used the words, they are asking you for directions. That's the way God uses us, right? There's so many people who are looking for Jesus, people who simply don't know where to find Him. But God puts stars in the sky, amen? God puts you and I in people's lives to bring them to Christ. We're all here for a reason. See, we are to continue to point people to Jesus, and that's because we know where Jesus is. But there was a time that God actually had to take a hand of protection over this baby boy and hide him so nobody knew where he was so that you and I could tell people later where he was. God had to, had to protect him to disrupt the sinful nature of people who really wanted to come in and to eliminate Jesus, to erase him. And God's like, no, that can't happen because his time is not here yet. His time of sacrifice is not here yet. Jesus had a reason, but God had to protect him. Come back with me into Matthew chapter 2, verse number 13. Now when they had gone, this is the wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and he took the child and his mother while it was still night and they left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I call my son. Verse number 16. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and he sent a slew and, and he sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all of its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time on which he had determined from the Magi. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. 
a voice was heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because there was no more. See this, see these male children being killed in Bethlehem? That was prophesied about. So Herod the king, he's mad that the wise men didn't come back and tell him. So he's like, I'm going to wipe out, I'm going to kill this king. So it's about two years. They figure it's been about two years since the star had appeared. The wise men came. So Herod says, I'm going to kill all the male boys in Bethlehem. And he did. That's why the angel came and told Joseph, take your son and go. Leave right now. Verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and he came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by Godin in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee, and he came and lived in a city called Nazareth. That was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Do you see all the prophecy? Even in this, you see these things that are happening that are fulfilling prophecy that was spoken hundreds of years before? God had such an amazing plan laid out, right? As we have seen through this entire sermon series, the hand of, of the Father was so involved in the life of God the Son because there was one reason that Jesus came to earth. God the Son needed to protect. God the Father needed to protect God the Son at times so that he wouldn't be destroyed. Ever since he was born, there was a target on his back. I would say even to this day, there's a target on the back of Jesus. People would look to erase him out of the world. God protected him because his time wasn't right. He needed to live. He needed to start his ministry. And he, he needed to fulfill the job that he had done, he needed to come for the exact reason of being a sacrifice for us. And I think we can all be very thankful that God took care of Jesus because it was mandatory for Christ to be here on earth for you and me. It was mandatory that he came to earth to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. See, Mary, she took two doves. You and I don't take two doves. Our sins are atoned for by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Point number four in your notes this morning is the same point that we have seen throughout this entire sermon series because it is that important. Point number four, you can almost, you can almost repeat it back to me, I'm sure. The child was born in the manger for one reason. What's that reason? to die on the cross. All of this happens for one reason. 
The boy in the manger was born to become the man on the cross. He was born to save people for their sins. He was born on Christmas in a manger so that he could walk with a cross on his back to Golgotha on Good Friday. And so that he could die on a cross, but then so he could rise again on Easter Sunday. Amen? This child came to save the lost. And he came to be the atonement for our sins. The Apostle John writes this. He said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. If you're here this morning, if you're here this morning and you don't know exactly where Jesus is, I ask you to come up. I ask you to come up. I want to pray with you. But if you are here this morning and you do know exactly where Jesus is, my prayer for you is that you'll remember how bright your light shines. And remember the fact that you are a star. And other people who you don't know are following you to Jesus.